So last week we focused on prayer at the end of prayer. Focused on the importance of the word Amen. And how that can help us to focus more on how we pray, how we listen to prayer, and then what we are to do in support of what we pray. As we think about prayer, if you were to ask just about anybody walking around in our neighborhoods, in our area, if you were to ask them, do you pray, I believe just about everybody would say, yes, I pray. And then if you ask, uh, do you pray on a regular basis, they would say, yes, I pray every day. Then if you were to ask them, do you get much out of your prayer? Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Then most of us would say, no, we're not satisfied. Some of that would be not surprising because of who God is and who we are. God is very high. He's very high. And what passage is it? Um, I think it's Isaiah 57. But God is very, very high. So it's not, it would not be totally surprising that we would, we would struggle in prayer because of the gap. Okay. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up. That's not me. That's not you. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. There's only one who inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Very important as we think about prayer to think about where God is and where we are. Who he is and who we are not real surprising that we would struggle in prayer, but it is a fact that there's a big difference between the theory of praying and the practice of prayer. And most, most people say, I'm not satisfied, and we should never be satisfied with our prayer life. So there's one statement I'd like to look at that I hope will be kind of a segue into a discussion about prayer this evening. The the statement is from Psalm number uh, 46 and verse 10. Psalm number uh, 46 and verse 10. Uh, What a great psalm this is. begins by talking about how that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, Look right there in Psalm 46 and verse 10. The simple statement, but oh how good. Be still and know that I am God. That's a statement I hope that will help us discuss prayer as it ought to be discussed this evening. Be still and know that I am God. If we can't apply this statement to our lives, we're not going to be able to pray 
to the Lord as we ought. Be still and know that I am God. There are two commands in that statement. The first command is, of course, be still. Be still. The second command is, know that I am God. Now, both of these commands are intertwined. They lean upon each other. And it's important for us to think about this. It's not possible to pray unless we also are growing in our knowledge of God. If we are in the Word of God, then we will naturally pray. It will lead us to want to pray. You, many of you have shared in different Bible classes how that when you do purpose yourself to want to share the gospel with somebody, that pushes you in two directions. It pushes you into the Word of God, and it pushes you down on your knees. So both prayer and Word of God are intertwined. To pray to the Lord is to search how to do it. It's to take us to the Word of God. You can't pray unless you are in the Word of God and studying it on a regular basis. But the very study of that Word then ought to cause us to pray even more fervently and even more often. For just a minute or two, let's look at the last part of this statement from Psalm 46, verse 10, which says, Know that I am God. Know that I am God. How is it that we come to know God? How is it that we come to know God? There's really only one answer to this. Right. Yeah, right. Through the words of God, if you'd like to hold your place and run over with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Notice a couple of statements from that passage. 1 John 2. Beginning in verse 3, 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Of course we cannot keep his commandments unless we know his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. All right, and then glance over if you'd like to, to 1 John chapter 5. Notice also verse 2, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love we loved the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not Grievous, they are not burdensome. While you're there, look at 1 John 3 and verse 22. Where John writes, and whatever we ask, notice this, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. So notice that this last part of the statement in Psalm 46 is to know the Lord. Know that the Lord, that He is God. 
let's notice, let's, let's expand this just a little bit on the connection between prayer and knowledge of God's Word. Right. So, one statement we might bring out is Proverbs 28 and verse 9. Proverbs 28, verse 9. And there's a warning there. If, if I turn my ear away from the law of God, then my prayer becomes an abomination to Him. Notice that. Notice the connection between the Word of God and my praying. Okay. If I intend to come to God in prayer, and yet I have not gotten into His Word, and I have just ignored His Word, then what good is my prayer going to do? It's not going to do any good. In fact, it will be an abomination to God. It will be something that will, will, He will detest. So notice that connection. Proverbs 28 verse 9 is that one. And then if we think about a statement made in Acts chapter 6, this is the occasion when some of the Grecian widows uh, had not received some of the daily service that they uh, needed. And so the apostles looked to this. They appointed seven men of, of faith and knowledge to look after this matter because the apostles say in Acts 6, 2 through 4, that we, we don't need to go and take care of this matter because we are into the ministry of the word and prayer. We, are, we do not need to leave this ministry of the word of God and prayer. And prayer. A lot of folks feel like that when you're praying, you're not doing anything, but that's not what the apostles thought. A lot, of people, a lot of people feel like they're not, not making any progress. Isn't that a shame? You're talking to the one who created the world, and you're able to talk to him, and that's not progress? That is progress. So they were going to, to stick to what they were doing because it was something very good. But then here's one that really, really need to mark. John chapter 15. John 15. Jesus speaking here. This is in the midst of his discussion about the vine and the branches. And notice John 15, what Jesus says in verse number 7. John 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice the connection there, the very clear, unmistakable connection between the words of God abiding in us. Okay. What that means is the word of God living in us. Living in, in us. Colossians three sixteen says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. So notice the connection between the words of God living in us and Christ living in us and then the effectiveness of our prayers. So it's very clear to us that prayer cannot be a substitute for knowing and doing the will of God. It cannot be. It's not. It's not, it's not designed to be that at all. But rather the two go together. You really can't do one without the other. Psalm 1 speaks, and we, we remember these kinds of statements from Psalm. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, 
In his word do, do I meditate day and night. Notice often in the Psalms how that, that meditation is connected to the study of the word. And notice how often they're doing it day and night. Day and night. You know that meditation includes prayer. It includes self-examination. It includes time. So growing in knowledge of God's word and prayer, it just goes hand in hand, and you know that very well. One part of the knowledge of God that helps us in prayer is to remember which kingdom we belong to. When Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Two kingdoms are represented there. There's Pilate's kingdom. There's the Lord's kingdom. Now, which one am I part of? Well, I'm part of the Lord's kingdom. There's another kingdom. And no matter when you live on this earth, no matter what part of history, there will always be that outer kingdom, the world. Okay. We're not part of that. We're in the Lord's kingdom. And that should be what brings most brings the most into our prayers. The content of our prayers ought to be focused on the kingdom of Christ. See, that's part of the knowledge that we bring into our prayer life. You know, my focus, whatever is my focus, is going to be part of my prayer life. It's going to be the focus of my prayers. What kingdom am I involved in? Okay. What's going to characterize my prayers? Okay. So that's, that's a big part of the knowledge of God is to understand how that, you know, the Bible pointed down to the kingdom coming and it came. It came, Jesus promised it. It came on the day of Pentecost and it has a mission of its own. No matter what's going on in the world, the mission of Jesus and his kingdom never stops for anybody or anything. This ought to characterize our prayers. Now, let's move to the second part of this statement, Psalm 46, verse 10, or actually the second part of our discussion, but really the first part of the statement, where it says, be still. What does it mean to be still? What does it mean when he says, be still and know that I am the Lord? Be still. We say that to our children how many times? How many times? How many times, Mom, when your children were sitting on the pews, did you say, be still, be still? How many times when you took them to the doctor did you have to say, be still, be still? How many times did my mom and dad drag me to a graveyard decoration on a beautiful, warm Sunday afternoon and have me stand there when I could look just beyond and see a grassy field and all kinds of adventures waiting on me? But be still. Be still. What does it mean here to be still? Trust. Trust? Pay okay. attention. Pay attention? Okay. Trust, pay attention? Be still. We know it, it's got to mean something like quieten your mind. Make your mind quiet. Make your mind quiet. Carve out time. God. Pay attention to God. 
is especially important in prayer, okay? Saying that be still means to stop striving, stop trying to fix the things that God is the, alone can, can fix. That's good. That's good. I'm looking at the International Standard uh, version uh, that I have here, and it translates the phrase that the King James gives as be still as be in awe and know that I am God. So that's Okay, appreciate that. James saying another translation has be in awe of God and be in awe and know that I am God. Okay. To recognize how high God is is to stop in your tracks. God ought to stop us in our tracks. He ought to stop us in life. Often. More than he does. But he ought to be still. Be still at its very core means to desire and need God. We make time. We somehow, how do we do it? How do we end up carving out time and opportunity for the things that we desire and need? But we do. We do. Think about it. The things that we desire and need, we have no problem carving out time and opportunity for those things. That's what needs to happen in prayer and worship. We have no time, no problem carving out time and opportunity for worship and prayer if God is our desire and need. So here's our question. What keeps us from desiring God? What keeps us from desiring God? I'm going to suggest some things and then you, you mark them out. You throw them away or you say, yeah, that's probably right. What about our advances in technology? Is that something that creates a barrier between us and God? Our need for Him, desire for Him. In other words, you know, the farmers of old would lift up their heads and pray to God for fruitful seasons and um, that a drought would not come or a drought would go away. They would depend upon God. Now, a farmer um, looks at his phone and looks at the radar, looks at um, weather patterns, and looks at low pressure systems and is able to create some uh, rather um, um, fancy um, complicated uh, irrigation systems and is it the case that our advanced uh, technology uh, causes us to feel like we need God less and less. I don't know, maybe. Maybe. You know, uh, as far as farming and food goes, most of us just go to a store. We don't have to go to the store now, right? We can order online. How great is that? We can order online, go pick it up. Order it online and have it delivered. Just instant. Where does that leave us when it comes to our need uh, for God. Jesus, 
in Matthew 5, when he gives us the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God wants us to know how much we need him. Maybe our advanced technology is, is um, causing more and more of a, a, a um, gap. Is it diluting our prayer life? I don't know. What about, um, what about our, the atmosphere of doubt and, and unbelief that's around us? Is that um, something that keeps us away from our desire for God? Do we hear too much of doubt? Do we, do we, does it begin to be part of our, our system, our thoughts? Uh, those who are skeptics, they'll say about prayer, and by the way, you don't have to look far if you wanted to search some. They make a lot of fun of us in our prayers. But they will say, well, we don't see God intervening. You're praying, and we don't see God intervening at all about the things you pray about. Uh, especially, we don't see God intervening, intervening stepping in, uh, as he did in old times, Old Testament times, biblical times. Well, what about that? Uh, what about the fact that God doesn't appear to uh, stop things that we ask to be stopped, like death and sickness and uh, disaster and... Um, and evil, or by evil people, we pray that God would take those away, and yet he doesn't seem to intervene. Does that kind of thought keep us from having a desire for God? And what are you going to say about that? Mike brings up uh, an important idea there to remember that, yes, God has promised to hear our prayers and to respond to our prayers, but to remember also in the broader context, that's not the only thing God has ever stated. He's made other, he has declared some other things, and one thing he has declared is Romans 5 verse 12, Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. Now, that's not going to change ever. That's, that is God declared that. That is, that is the consequences of our sins. And so we're going to pray, but we also have to remember the, the other statements that God has made. What about our prosperity? Does that keep us from desiring God? What do you think, Brother Larry? Is our prosperity, which we are very prosperous people, does that keep us from desiring to pray to God? Historically has been the case? From the beginning. From the beginning, What do you think? Prosperity? Is that, a, is that something that kind of dilutes our prayers? The intensity of our prayers? If you look, if you look 
Okay. Yes, um, the riches of our nation can cause us to forget God. And uh, Kyle mentioned Sunday the parable Jesus gives about the rich fool who um, was very focused on himself about what he had brought, uh, what the ground had brought him, but he had, he felt like he had brought it. Look what I have done. Look what I'm storing up. Nathan's saying, doesn't it stem from a lack of knowledge? And it does. Because no matter how well we're blessed, we should still be able to remember where it comes from, that God has blessed us with that. But that's the thing. That's, that's the thing. That's, that's, you know, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, the warning to Israel was, you're about to go in this land flowing with milk and honey, but beware, lest you forget God. Beware lest you begin to think that you have brought these blessings into your life. So it could be that our prosperity creates a gap between us and God in our prayer life. Developing nations do not sit around and ponder about whether or not prayer is effective. They spend less time doing that and more time just actually praying. third world countries. They don't ponder about prayer. They need God. They don't, they don't have time. They don't have the focus to try to wonder whether or not God is or God is, is, is um, worthy of praying to. Um, they're spending more time in prayer than they are pondering about it. James 2 verse 5 says, Has not God chosen the poor as to this world rich in faith. Those rich in faith, regardless of your financial wherewithal, but those rich in faith are the ones who are going to pray to the Lord more consistently, it seems to be. By and large, wealthy people rely on themselves. They, they rely on their talent, they rely on their resources, they rely on their experience, they rely on their instinct, for after all, it seems to have worked for them. It seems like everything they have is the decisions they've made, the, the, uh, the manner in which they've gone about things has brought riches and blessings into their lives, so why not rely on yourself? And the more you do that, of course, the less we'll have need of God. Turn over with me to Revelation chapter 3 for a second. Revelation chapter 3. Notice Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea. Beginning in verse 15. He says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will 
I will spew you out of my mouth. Remember Proverbs 28, verse 9 said, If we turn away from the law, then our prayers will be an abomination to him. But notice verse 17. Revelation 3, 17. For you say, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I have need of nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiable, poor, blind, wretched, and, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, truly rich, and have white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and you have salve to anoint your eyes so that you may be able to see. These folks were not able to see their condition. They were blind. They didn't see their need uh, for God. It could be that because of prosperity, we don't have the desire that we ought to have to really enter into our closets, spend time with God, and pray. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, and part of it was, give us this day our daily bread. How does that fit when our, our closets and pantries are just stocked full of things? Do we really feel our dependence upon God? Do we really feel and see our need for God? What about um, what about the pressure of time? Does that affect our desire to pray to God? The, the pressure of time. We're told in Ephesians five sixteen to redeem the time, to buy it up, to buy it up, because the days are evil. In other words, it's, it's, it's like Aaron Fletcher. He goes to this place. I don't remember all the names of these places. But he goes to Lowe's and he says, man, they got a deal. You know, don't ever go shopping with Aaron. You'll never get out of there. They got a deal. So he buys up lots of things because, after all, it's a good deal. So, and that's what the, the, the message there in Ephesians 5.16 is, is... Um, you know, you've got this time. What are you going to do with it? So redeem the time. Buy it up. Buy up your time. In other words, use your time toward things which are most important to God because the days are evil. Is it a time factor? Think about our conversations. Have they gotten longer and longer or shorter and shorter? Our conversations have gotten less and less. Okay, you know this. Text, right? Instant, whatever. Twitter. Our conversations, is this affecting our, our conversation with God? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. Something is. Something is. Is it a time factor? Is it the fact that we feel the need to converse so quickly, not even using whole sentences and words, part, part words, words here and there, and not even words sometimes, little symbols. We don't focus for very long. We don't. You'll notice um, television, everything just about that our younger people see, the picture is changing every second or two. Yeah. 
Kay is saying that nothing in society is lasting long at all if, you look at, if you're looking at TV. How fast is that screen changing from one to the next to the next? Seconds, just seconds, and you're, you're on to another, on to another picture or another view, viewpoint, constantly changing. And our conversations have definitely got that way to where we're even using symbols um, to represent ideas on, on, our, on our phones. It reminds me, Roger, of we've all become the third base coach. You know, you know, if you're on first base, you're the base runner. You're looking to the third base coach, and he's not going to scream out to you and say, it's time to steal second. He's, he's, now, one of my coaches, his, his steal signal was if he rubbed his ear. He rubbed his ear. And the decoy was if he gave you a thumbs up. If he gave you a thumbs up, it means you're not running on that pitch. But if he ever rubbed his ear, then you, you, you go. You go. If he ever rubbed his ear and his tummy, it means you go and slide on your belly. Okay, you'll slide head first in the second, second base because it's probably going to be close. Okay. So, have we become you know, the catch, the hind catcher and, the, and third base? And then, I don't know, I'm just asking questions. If our conversations are becoming shorter and shorter, then what about our conversations with God? Do we have a toleration to spend time with God? You know, Luke 6, verse 12 says, Jesus spent all night in prayer with God. Would we even? When's the last time your prayer exceeded five minutes? When's the last time your prayer exceeded ten minutes? Christy's saying that the conveniences that we have, we're the most convenience-saturated uh, society ever, and yet we have, we have less time for a less time period. You'll hear people say, I have no time. I have no time to exercise. I have no time for leisure. I have no time to work. I can't get anything yet. I can't get anything done. Where does God fit in in all that? When he's, he is high and holy. And He's the most important person, most important, that's, that's our most important time, is to be with God. Where does he, how does he get into all that busyness? Okay. And what about um, when we do, maybe this is a hindrance, maybe it's just a practice that has developed, but it seems like when we are, or for some people, when they get ready to bear their soul, instead of going to God, they go to somebody, a person, a therapist. I wonder why that has happened. I wonder why that occurred. I'm just wondering about that. Do you think it's because God is invisible? 
if you're sitting across to someone and you're talking to them and you're and you're just laying your soul bare before them, what are they going to do? Well, if if you groan, they're going to groan. If you laugh, they're going to laugh. If they feel like they you need them to nod, they're going to nod. But with God, you don't see any of that. You don't hear anything. He's invisible. It's it requires faith. It's the kind of faith that doesn't come by sight. Because the world is not knowledgeable, then their ways are not going to be to talk to God. And we kind of let that creep into our, I call it our system, our habits, our manners, our, our, our ways, our routines. Larry is referring to Mark 1 and verse 35 where Jesus got up early one morning, even before it got daylight, and went off to a place by himself and he prayed. That's an excellent example of this statement in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. It's a remarkable example there with Jesus because he come from God. He is God. And yet look at him seeing the desire, seeing the need to, uh, before the business of the day uh, transpires, he, he got up way early into a place. wondering what's ruling our lives. God or, God or technology. Okay, go ahead. We're closest to the one we talk to the most. Okay. We're closest to the one that we talk to the most. Okay. That's very true. Very true.
very good comment from Aaron saying, uh, I think, jumping off the idea that why do, why do we bear our soul before other people? Oftentimes, other people will try to, he calls it, what do you call it, enabler? But they'll, they'll tell us what we're looking to hear so we'll feel better. But God's word doesn't do that. God's word is the same. God is the same. God doesn't change. His word throws it right back to us and say, here's my will. Here's my will. And maybe not just God being invisible, but even more so because his will is what it is that um, we don't go to him as much. So these kind of lessons on prayer is not to um, imply whatsoever that, that we're not praying. But it is, I think, um, it is a practice, I think, all of us could say, I want to improve, I want, I want, I want to do better. And so that's the only reason that we're, we're addressing this. Be still and know that I am God. And that's a... It's a great way of stopping and thinking about your prayer life. We will take just a few minutes break and get right to our devotional time. Thank you very much for your good comments.